Before I get into my message this morning, I did just want to give a little piece of encouragement or a word of advice, if you will, um, and that is be ready for God's blessings. Now, I say this because recently I have been praying into my own life that I want to be used by God in some spaces that I'm not currently being used in, whether that's at work, in conversation with a colleague, or at the supermarket or on the road, because I know as a driver, sometimes you can be a little bit impatient, and if people are trying to cut in front of you, that's not super ideal, but I want to be blessing people in ways like that. Um, and we, so I've been praying this because we can see regularly in the Bible that God calls us to serve. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Um, so I've been praying this on my own life, but I did not foresee being asked to get up here in front of you all on a Sunday morning for a Father's Day service, and I won't lie, I am terrified. <laughs> this is not an ideal situation for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, so be prepared, because we know God loves to bless us. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8 tells us, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So if I can open with a quick word of advice, it is be ready for God's blessings. If you're praying for something like an employment opportunity uh, or a breakthrough in a relationship or something with finances or wanting to serve more, um, be prepared because he might just give you a challenging opportunity that you weren't anticipating. Um, and this actually segues quite well into my message uh, for this morning, uh, where I'll be looking into the story of Gideon. Um, and I love this story, and I've chosen to share with you because I think it's a perfect example of having bold faith. Um, and we need bold faith when God calls upon us. Uh, so it's, a, it's sort of a, no matter our circumstances, when he calls upon us, we can have peace knowing that he is in control. Um, so if you'd like to read along, the story is in uh, Judges uh, chapter 6 to 8. I'll pretty much only be going through um, chapter 6 today. There is quite a bit of scripture. Um, won't be able to get through it all, but I will do a bit of a summary in between verses. A bit of context. Who is Gideon? Uh, Gideon is the son of Joash. Uh, he is an Israelite who is currently facing the wrath of uh, the Midianites, um, as this was post-God rescuing the Israelites from Egypt. Um, and one day we see Gideon is threshing wheat in his wine press when an angel visits him. Uh, so if we read from verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And if we, if we pause for a moment and look at what the angel says to Gideon, it is quite incredible. Go in the strength that you have. And I love this passage because it's saying that we can present ourselves to God in whatever stage of faith that we're at or with whatever skills that we have or whatever qualifications that we have, and He will still want to use us. He will take us to the extra nth and make sure that we can achieve what His will is for us. Um, if we read, if we continue to read on, Gideon questions again saying, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. 
and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. So again, we see Gideon is on the back foot and he is questioning how it would be possible for him to overcome this massive army, army given what he has at his disposal. Um, and God's response to this is, I will be with you. I feel like it's a reasonably common teaching that God is always with us and his spirit is guiding us. Um, but if we look in this situation, Gideon is like against all of the odds and God is still calling upon him to, to call upon his own strength that he has because he's like, I'll take you the rest of the way. Um, Gideon knows he is just a common man. He's not like this mighty war hero or he doesn't have this leading capacity for an army. Um, but God is still there saying, no, I am choosing to use you. And it's really good to see that Gideon is obeying. Um, what is quite relatable in this story about Gideon as well is, although that, uh, sorry, he does have his moments of doubt and questioning, um, and he does need those small steps of faith um, from God in order to proceed. So if we read from verse 36, it does say, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you said, and that, and that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me to test Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all of the ground was covered in dew. In this instance, again, we can see God building Gideon up with small steps of faith. And I know sometimes even when I'm hearing from God, um, and I'm not quite sure if it's on a particular matter, I might still ask for confirmation. And I might get that confirmation in a piece of advice from friends or if I'm reading scripture, I can see with that that it's aligning, aligning with what um, the Bible is telling me. But as we see in the second time when God shows up for Gideon, he's, we see this incredible transformation within him where he is no longer doubting or questioning God's will. In fact, it is so strong that Gideon proceeds to obey God and reduces the size of his army not only once but twice as per God's request. So he's already undermanned. And God's saying, I want you to take less people out of your arm. And he's like, all right, fine, I'll go take less people out. And then again, he's asking, take even more people out of your army. I have the power to overthrow the Midianites through you. And that's what Gideon's done. I just, that's unbelievably crazy to me. And it's just so indicative of bold faith. Um, and if we obviously keep reading, we can read about how Gideon has this victorious battle with the Midianites. Um, but it's the first part of that story that really resonates with me. Um, we have this man who has initially accepted his circumstances as like an oppressed commoner, um, but, excuse me, uh, through the power of God, he was able to overthrow an entire army. Uh, and so I'm reminding you guys this morning of Gideon because no matter how small or settled or weak or doubtful we might feel, this story teaches us that God doesn't see us the way we see ourselves. Um, he will take the time and patiently work with us and shape us. And, we'll have to, and all we have to do is be willing to go in the strength that we have, taking one small step forward at a time, even while we are afraid, and God will do the rest. And so if I can leave you with a challenge for this morning, it's when you reach a crossroads this week, where you're not quite sure, oh, how am I going to manage, like I sort of felt when I was asked to come up here on a Sunday morning. 
please remember Gideon and have that bold faith because God does want to use you and he's wanting to call upon you. And that's my message for this morning. I'm going to welcome up Darren, if you'd like to join us up here, and he'll be able to give us his word as well. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Sorry? <laughs> I've got to hold the mic nice and close. Is that right? Yeah. So the, thank you. For those who don't know me, my name is Darren, and I'm actually the father of Jordan and Samuel Wakem. I'm also the father-in-law of Talisha and Madison Wakem, two beautiful daughters. I'm also a grandfather. I know, I'm too young. of Andrew, Deacon, and Eric Wakem. So as you can see, Pastor, we are taking over, purely by numbers. You're right, uh, Joey, it is terrifying being up here, looking at all these faces. So today's Father's Day, a day to remember our father. And I was speaking to my father this morning, and we had great times. He was actually the one that taught me and made me who I am today. Uh, sometimes the things he taught me probably shouldn't have. But we had some real doozy times. We used to go out shooting together and hunting. And the fact that I'm still alive here today is actually a miracle in itself. But it always ended up, most of the time, his comments were, whatever you do, don't tell your mother. Who knows? Who's got a dad like that? Nah. So my Bible character of choice today is David. And I've chosen David purely because of his attributes. Uh, he was a, a singer, a musician, a poet, a writer of songs, a warrior, everything that we should be aiming for. A king, a leader of men. He was so close to God's heart. Now, I started with the original transcript here that was about this thick three weeks ago. And I've basically got it down to about 100 pages now. So I can actually go on about his talent. But if you really want to read about David in depth, you should start from Samuel and work your way through to Kings, right through to the New Testament. He's mentioned right throughout there. But my favourite story about David is the story of David and Goliath. I think that's a classic children's story. It's what we were taught in Sunday school. That was what it was called back in my days. I love the story of David and Goliath. Um, it was probably the best story for me in the whole Bible. It, it took a few years for me to actually realise how important that story actually was was actually a pivotal point in David's life. It was actually a point that actually changed history. He became a national hero. So we know the story. Basically, David was about 15 years old. He was sent by his father, Jesse, to check on the, his brothers in battle. Um, the Israelites were having a bit of an issue with the next-door neighbors, the Philistines, and they sent one of their main man up there to fight. And of course, David 
a lamb to slaughter, went in there, and he picked up five little stones. That was a song we used to sing in Sunday school. Five little stones, and he managed to knock Goliath down. Now, we're not sure whether he was stunned. Most people say he was stunned. And, of course, David then goes and prepares to remove part of uh, Goliath's body from his neck, holds it up, and shows the Israelites, and they all cheer him. And, of course, the Philistines saw the fear of God. They took off, and all the big, tough Israelite soldiers went chasing after them. So that point was actually made him a hero. It, made, it changed the course of history. And, of course, this made Saul very unhappy. He became jealous. It forced David to go out, have to leave Israel with some loyal followers, and for the next seven or so years, Saul pursued David. And eventually Saul died in battle, and um, Saul's son took over, his father, for a short period of time, two, two years or so. And he was eventually um, killed by some of his own men who were loyal to David. So that always affected me as a story because I thought, man, th this guy is someone who really want to be a man of faith and courage. Now, I've got a pile of information here I could go through, and, I mean, Greg Murray would be actually quite happy to see what I've got here. But I'm actually going to wing it now. It's going to be a bit risky. I can see fear in the eyes of the people on the front row. So why did I pick David? I picked David because I want to be like David. I want his attributes. I want his courage and faith. And these things are all applicable in our lives today. It can help us in our walk. I want his humility. I want to be able to ask for forgiveness. I want to know my faults. I want to be able to worship like David did. Because he just demonstrates authentic worship. I'd actually like to be a leader like David is, to be able to speak positive things into people's lives. I want resilience, to be able to face turmoil and use setbacks as a positive way in my life. Accountability, admit your mistakes, say you're sorry. As a parent, you know, David was a parent. He had uh, roughly 18 children. Think about eight wives and ten concubines. That's a, that's a handful. Maybe one's just bad enough. Maybe I, should, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I do tend to uh, talk before I think. Sometimes it's actually true what I say, but I probably shouldn't just say it at that particular time. So here was a parent, so I'd like to be a great parent to teach my children, to bring them up in the ways of God, to shape and mould them. And finally, I'd like to have a real close connection with God. That, that These are the goals and these are things that we can actually apply in our lives today. David was known as a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't it be great if we were known as a man or woman after God's? Of course, 
we have a slight edge over David. We don't actually have to sacrifice animals for our sin. I mean, in my case, I'd actually have to own a sheep station. And there wouldn't be too many left at the end of it. So we don't have to sacrifice. But the ultimate sacrifice was the fact that he sent Jesus, his son, to give us hope and a future life in heaven. And also, too, we have the Holy Spirit to check and balance us and to comfort us. And through these, we can actually obtain what we need to do. We can actually have the ability of David. So I'd like to say, wouldn't it be great if I was called a man after God's own heart? Dan, a man after God's own heart. Jasmine, a woman after God's own heart. Thank you, Cal. Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the dads and the father figures in the house. We honour you. We celebrate you. Uh, for those of you who may not know, my name's Cal, part of the team here at Uni Hill, and I have the honour to what we call bring it home. I'm going to share a few thoughts with you, and we'll wrap it up. Hopefully, you've had a good service. It's been pretty good. Yeah, awesome. Um, when I was asked to share about... Um, I guess someone in the Bible that I admire straight away, the name Stephen came to mind from the book of Acts. And there's so many things I love about Stephen in the Bible. And uh, we haven't got time to go through his whole story. Um, but if you want to look at the kind of guy he was, um, Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 7, the Bible describes him in these ways. First, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. What a cool description to have. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Uh, verse 10 of chapter 6 says that no one could stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. So when he spoke, people listened. He spoke with that authority. Also says of Stephen that he was full of faith, like David. Uh, it says that he was a man full of God's grace and power. Don't you love those, those expressions? Full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of God's grace and power. And it says that he performed great wonders and signs amongst the people. And then finally, he knew the scriptures really, really well. Again, if you read Acts chapter 7, uh, you'll find his famous speech. He was a preacher. He could, he could conduct, a, 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 I guess, a sermon. And uh, again, we won't go into the story about what that speech was about, but uh, let's just say that he was preaching God's truth and these enemies, the religious guys, didn't like it. And so they grabbed hold of him, dragged him out of the city, got out rocks and stoned him to death. And he became the first... Uh, Christian martyr that we see in the Bible. And uh, so he was a man that had convictions. He, he preached truth, even if it cost him his life. I mean, he was an incredible man of God. He did some amazing things. And I'm not going to lie, I'd love to do the things that Stephen did. Like, I'd love to be someone who's full of the Holy Spirit, full of God's grace and power, signs, wonders, miracles, preaching Jesus. I would love that. But if I was to be honest... That's not the thing or those aren't the things that I admire most about Stephen. What I actually admire about Stephen isn't just so much what he did, but who he was. I love Stephen because of his Christ-like character. He had incredible character. And I don't know about you, but I get drawn to people with Christ-like character, yeah? 
you know, the people who possess that character, people who display that character, I absolutely love that. And that's why I love that, Stephen. You know, Paul says in Romans 8 that we're predestined to be conformed into the image of Christ. All right, so, you know, God changing us and transforming us from the inside out. So it starts with our character. Everything must flow from there. You know, uh, matter of fact, everything that we do must flow from our character, not the other way around. And I think, I think that character really is important because it's what we want to be known for. It's the real you, right? We all want that, don't we? We want to be known by God and by each other, uh, by our character. And I think this is really important. Um, for example, I have uh, two jobs. I have one here at the church. And the other job is that I basically um, run these parenting workshops or these parenting groups. And sometimes I get the dads together. We have these dads groups. And some of the dads really, uh, they want to be there, right? They want to be the best dad they possibly can. They want to try and connect with their kids and they want to learn. They want to grow. It is awesome. But there's some other fathers that come and they don't want to be there, the the courts have ordered them to be there. And, uh, you know, if they want custody of their kids, they've got to come to this parenting group. So they, they turn up, arms crossed, so uh, not very, very impressed. And uh, sometimes they're a little bit hard to get through. But you know what? I kind of like the challenge. I love the challenge of trying to get through that, that tough exterior and uh, get to the heart of the issue. Ask them a few questions. Get them uh, to understand how they tick. I want to know what's going on inside here, not, not what's going on out there. Sometimes you can't control anybody else, but you can control yourself. So I wanted to know, what is it that's going on inside there? Who really are you? And, you know, it's a bit of a challenge. It takes a few weeks from time to time. But we finally get there. And I find that the story for all these men is pretty much the same. And that is they just want to be known for who they really are. Because a lot of these, get, these dads, their identity is wrapped up in their career and their reputation and their successes, their achievements. And they're, they're sick of playing the game. They're sick of living up to that standard that everybody else expects of them. And they say, I just want to be known for who I really am, not what I do. Now, what we do is important, don't get me wrong, but it's never more important than who you are, and especially who you are in Christ. That is the most important thing. And that's what I love about Stephen in the Bible. That's why I'm drawn to him. He was amazing, not just for what he did, as amazing as that was, but I get drawn to him for who he was. He had incredible Christ-like character. For example, he was a servant. He had a servant heart. Stephen was one of seven men who led the way in serving the widows, those in need. Like people don't do that unless they've got a servant heart, right? So that's what I love about him. Uh, secondly, he had conviction, right? He was dedicated to preaching truth, even if it would lo- he would lose his life, which ultimately he did. And so this man had courage. He had conviction. He didn't waver, even in the face of fierce opposition. And thirdly, and this is what I really love about Stephen that I want to focus on for the rest of the time here, his heart was pure. His heart was pure. Yes, he was powerful, but his heart was pure. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at his story, you see the way that he treats his enemies. It is incredible the way that he treats his enemies. So he's preaching truth. They're, they're not happy. They want to kill him. They drag him out of the city. They get those, those rocks, and they are throwing these rocks at him to kill him. And do you know what he does? He says that he prayed, Lord, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Isn't that incredible? And when he said that, he fell asleep, which is a way of saying he passed away. 
I find that absolutely incredible. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Like what selflessness, what love, what purity to have a heart so pure that he would not condemn his accusers, but rather he wanted God to have mercy on them. All right, and that's exactly what happened to Jesus, wasn't it? The purest person ever to walk on the earth. They took hold of him and they, you know, whipped him and beat him and put him on a cross and mocked him. And what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Right? Jesus doesn't curse them. He loves them. He forgives them. He leaves that door open that hopefully one day they would fall to their knees, they would repent of their sin and say, I'm sorry, and he would welcome them in. Right, so Jesus' love for humanity was incredible, and Stephen was just following in the footsteps of his Savior, and that's what makes him incredible. That's why I get drawn to Stephen in the Bible. And uh, actually, Dan, I might get you to come. And um, like I said, there's so much more I could say about Stephen, but this is not a, a sermon spot. It's just a few thoughts I want to share with you. Um, but he's worth admiring. Again, not just for his amazing ministry, but his Christ-like character, his servant heart, his integrity, his purity, his selfless nature, and that's someone that I hope to become one day. So could. So as we come to a close, I just want us uh, to really consider this today, what I've been talking about for a few moments, and that is your character. I want you to think about what's, what's your character, where's that at? Some people call it your soul, the real you. And so I guess the question that I want us to reflect on as we finish today, do you know the real you? Do you know how God sees you? Do you know how much He loves you? How's your character? How's your soul? And I think, I think it's worth asking this question because I really get the sense that there are some people in this place and you struggle with this whole sense of worth. And you look at yourself and you think, Really, God? Maybe you think you've blown it one too many times. That's not how it works in the kingdom. We're all on this journey. We're all on this journey to try and work out who we are, what's our true worth, and how does God see us? So what is your worth? I'll tell you what the Bible says. Okay, Paul the Apostle, I think I might have it up on the screen there. Romans 8. For I'm convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. That's a pretty exhaustive list right there. If you can think of something that should be on that list, let me know. I don't think you can find anything. Because there is nothing that can separate God's love from you. That's what He feels about every single person. And yet there's so many people I'm finding that aren't settled on this. There's so many people who feel like they have to, I know, prove themselves to earn God's love. But as I said, that's not how it works. Your love is not based, sorry, your worth is not based on what you can do for God. Your worth is based on what He has done for you by sending you His Son to show you how much He loves you, right? That Jesus gave His life, went to the cross, paid for our sin, atoned for our sin. If we would just put our faith in Him, 
our trust in Him and receive His forgiveness, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, Paul says. If anyone's in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And we can start that new life in Jesus. And we can walk every single day in loving relationship with our God. And we get to go into eternity. Church, that's the gospel and the gospel's true. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And I really believe there are some people here today, you need to be set free. You need to be set free from those faulty mindsets that you're not good enough, that God's not going to accept you. Some of you need to be set free from the sin that's stopping you from really going after God. There's something inside of some of you that there's this stirring that you want more of God, but there's this pride. There's a whole bunch of negative mindsets that you have that's stopping you from pursuing God. And I really believe that God is just reaching His hand out and says, come, come. I love you for who you are, who I created you to be. That's your true worth. And I don't know how many people that is in this room. I don't know if God's kind of like, you know, striking a nerve and you think, yep, that's me. But I just want to pray. I think this is a really good opportunity before we finished to, uh, to really pray. Because God is reaching out to every one of us. He's reaching out. And he wants us to respond. So my question is, will you respond to God's love today? You know, some of you, I'm just going to be honest, some of you, you feel like you've just blown it far too many times. Some of you are really struggling with that self-worth. And in your head, you know, yeah, I, I, I should just put that aside and I've got to go after God, but it's a struggle, it's a battle. Some of you are here today because you know it's good to go to church. But you've got that battle, you've got that wrestle. So I'd love to pray for you in just a moment. And, and to be honest, I think that's why the prodigal son is so important. That's a very powerful story, church. Right, the, the son runs away from the father. Father doesn't pursue him because he loves his child. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want to force himself upon his child. Son goes out, tries to live life on his own terms, messes things up. Comes to realization he needs dad. So he turns around, about to say sorry. He's going to go to the father. He thought, maybe I can just be a servant at best. I'm not worthy to be called a son, but maybe I could be a servant. And he comes home. And just before he enters through the doorway, dad sees him. He runs out to the son, rubs his arms around him, kisses and hugs him, puts a robe on him, puts a ring on the finger and says, my son is home. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And I love that story. I love that story. You know why? Because the dad didn't say, how dare you? He didn't tell him off. He didn't get mad. He was just glad that his son came back. The father's love for his son never changed all the way through. Right? The son's perception of dad's love, that might have changed. But dad's love never changed for his son. He came back. He just hugged him. He says, I'm glad that you're home. And that might be the story for some of you here today. And that's why I want to um, just quickly pray. So can I get everyone to stand to your feet? If you are able to. Before we go, I just want to give this moment. Again, you might be feeling like God is 
is speaking to you today. You, you feel God's love over you. And maybe now's the day where you can actually bow the knee to Jesus and say, yep, I'm in. So can I everyone to close their eyes, bow their head, just as a moment of reflection. And in this moment, if you are here today and you're not walking with Jesus, maybe at some point, point you were walking with Him and you're here at church and we thank you for that, but you're not really walking with Him now. You're not surrendering your life to Him. You're so far away, it's ridiculous. And God's stirring your heart. I want to pray for you in just a moment. But I also want to pray for anybody in this room that you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. You do not have a relationship with Him. Maybe someone brought you here to church. And again, we're so thankful that you did come. But you look at your life and you think, you were created for something more, but you're not walking with God. And He wants to say, hey, can you come home? Come to me. I created you for a purpose. I created you and I love you and I want you in relationship with me. Remember, Jesus Christ died for your sin and for your wrongdoing and paid the price so that you can be radically forgiven, made new, and to walk in love and relationship with Him. So if you don't yet know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and you want that relationship with Him, I also want to pray for you. So again, as everyone has their eyes closed and heads bowed, I want to give people that opportunity. Like I said, if you've walked away from God and today you want to come back, or if you've never experienced Jesus' love at all, but you want to say yes to Him today and to start that wonderful life-giving relationship with Jesus, can I just get you to shoot your hand up real quick? And once I see it, you can put it down just so I know who I'm praying for. Yep, over in the corner there on the right. Thank you. God bless you. Anybody else? Praise God. God is here. Awesome. Thank you, sir. We're going to pray for that person who put their hand up to say, I need Jesus in my life. But I'd love us all to pray together in support and unity. So join with me. Pray this prayer. Say, Dear God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I confess my sin before you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for me so that I may be forgiven for my sin. I believe that he died and was raised from the dead and that through Him I receive forgiveness. Lord, I give You my life today. In Jesus' name, Amen.